0: Well, I've learned a new word today. You know, I, being here in uh, the UK and England, I uh, the word today that I learned is niggle. I've never heard the word niggle. Something's niggling at you. Make sure you give it to the Lord. Ah, oh, very good. I have to work that into a sermon. Somehow, someplace, I will, I promise. Uh, let me show you a picture of my family. Some of you are here on Wednesday, but. I don't know if you can see that in here, but this is uh, my uh, lovely bride of 25 years, Shelly. Uh, Aiden, this is a couple years ago. He graduated from high school. He's uh, second year in college now. Uh, our son, Rowan, who we adopted from China, and, uh, and so he's a blessing. And so we have a 20-year-old now and a 9-year-old. So we, we figure we will be 58 years old when uh, Rowan graduates from high school which is very young in my mind, 58, right? So I'm, we're good with that, but he's keeping us young and hopping and uh, he's so fun, we so enjoy him. I tell you, let me, let me tell you what I, my sense is so far this, with your, my visit here, is that you are an amazing group of people. <laughs> I've really enjoyed every person I've met. I think you have such a sincere love for the Lord and it's so enjoyable to me to go to different places uh, you can go to different countries, and you meet people who are in love with Jesus, and, and the same heart, uh, because we have him. And so I, I, I really felt today, as I was praying for us, and, and for you, and this message today, that this is what I think the Lord wants to do, is he wants to have a divine exchange between failure and faith. And the word that, that I really feel is the word for you today is faith, that God wants to increase your faith. You have faith. There's no question. Uh, no question in my mind. But the Lord wants to take it to a new place, a new level, almost like, Steve, the shut gate that was frozen. It wasn't that it wasn't, but you had to give it a little, little nudge, right? And, and, I, and I just really feel like the Lord wants to bump some of us up in our faith. And some of you think, I'm full of faith. Great. But I believe the Lord wants to take it to a new level. One of the things that keeps us from really stepping out in faith is failure, and failure can be defined in lots of ways, but I want to read a quote to you, and there'll be some things on the screen here, and if you can see them, great. I've got several points, but just more than anything, just listen to, listen to the words. Here's the quote from Abraham Lincoln. It says, By great concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. And I really like that. Our, I like the, the heart of that. Are you? It's, we all have failed. We all will fail. We'll continue to fail. As long as we're on this planet, there will be small and big failures. But will we be content? Will we, uh, and, I, and I like this next, go to the next slide, if you would. The definition of overcome is to defeat or get the better of. And so today I want to talk to you about how do we get the better of failure? How do we, how do we let it be a catalyst in our lives? And uh, and there's the definition here. Failure is falling short of success, of achievement, in something expected, attempted, desired, or approved. How do we get the better of this? We've all tasted it. If you haven't, you're in denial. (laughs) Uh, If you think you're perfect, well, let's talk afterwards. I'll pray with you. Um, Sometimes failure is God gave you a vision of something you believed, God wanted you to do. Season of bad choices could be part of that. Sin, rebellion could be a failed marriage could be failed at just relationships in general. Maybe you lost your job. If you're, if you're in school, maybe you had the exams, you just didn't do it. Failure financially, morally. There's so many things that would define failure and, and we've experienced. Sometimes failure is just an unwillingness to go for it, to really step out in the things that God's called us to, because we're comfortable. And, I, and I've mentioned that a few times this week. It, it seems to be a recurring theme here. And, and, and I'm, I'm just like, Lord, help us not to be stuck by failure. Because you know, the enemy knows that he cannot take away your faith. But if he it can't take away your salvation, but if he can keep you stuck, you know, some historical figures who failed and learned and came back from it, many of you would be familiar with Walt Disney, of course. Uh, he, was, he was accused, his editorial manager accused Walt Disney of having no creative ideas. Can you believe that? Einstein's teacher labeled him uneducable and dumb. A good uh, American basketball player, Michael Jordan, he said this. I put the quote on the screen. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've I've lost almost 300 games 26 times. I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. First of all, let me tell you what failure is not. Failure is not avoidable. it's It's not your enemy it's not my enemy, and it's not our identity and at the moment you were born, you and I were born, we were guaranteed to fail it's right in scripture romans three twenty three says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God so boom, we're born into it. Talk about a niggling is that the right way to use that i don't know you, get, you know sin really niggles at you, you know what I'm saying and so we were born into it. We have a proclivity to sin from the moment we're born. And if you've ever had children, you know it. Even before they can talk, they can sin. It's incredible, it seems. And um, and the Bible, of course, is full of prominent people that have failed. Moses, David, Abraham, Noah, Adam, and Eve, Paul, Barnabas. I mean, the list is long and very intentional. And you, know, one of the reasons that I know that the Bible is real, because if if... If just a really great group of humans were going to author this thing, uh, it wouldn't be so full of failure. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, would, if if you and I were going to tell, if you were going to write your own memoir, you would be you would filter it a little better, most likely, right? But God, He knew. I'm going to put the. I'm going to show you people who failed over and over again, and yet the redemptive opportunity that God can bring through that. And so it's it's very encouraging. You know, Peter. One of Jesus' disciples, his, his aggressive nature led him to multiple failures. Uh, uh, he offered advice to Jesus. He was really interested in giving advice to Jesus over and over again, multiple situations. And at one point, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's a bad day if Jesus calls you Satan. I'm just telling you. You know, for Peter, that was a bad day. And <laughs> another time, uh, Peter loyally defends Jesus by swinging his sword at the temple guard's head, misses, cuts off the ear. You know the story. Another time... Uh, You know, he denies him, of course, three times. I mean, Peter racked up some pretty good failures in his aggressive personality. And and yet, yet in the midst of that, Peter seems to get the better of failure. And so, so let's look at the main text. If you have your Bible or your phone or pad, whatever you have, Matthew 14, it will be on the screen. I'm reading from the New King James. It says this, and the context of this is right before this passage, uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which would be you know roughly fifteen to 20,000 people, a few loaves, a few fish, serious miracle, amazing. The disciples are tired. They've, all, they've had this incredible day of feeding all these people. And the next scene we see is, it says this in verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away... And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. I'm sure the word niggle is in this passage somewhere, I'm looking for it. But now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? We see here that, that what Peter doesn't do, first of all, what Peter doesn't do in this passage is he doesn't say, I am a loser. He doesn't say, I'm a terrible disciple. He doesn't say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worth nothing. He doesn't go there. And, and I want to I give you some thoughts today on how to, how to reframe failure. How to have a belief about failure that will hopefully move you to a, a, a place of forward motion versus stuckness. Is that a word, Steve? Stuckness. Okay, well, I'm making it up. So how do we get the better? Here's my first thought from this passage. Is it, we need to view failure as a pit stop. Now, I heard somebody I think it was Pete the other day say, uh, he was watching or talking about formula racing. Did you know uh, formula like Formula, formula One racing? That the average pit stop is like two seconds. And all they do in, in formula racing is take the tires, I believe. But the, the record is like 1.92 seconds or oh nine two seconds. It's like crazy. Can you imagine that, that they can do that? Now, in NASCAR racing, it's, it's, they try to get it under 12 seconds. Sometimes they get down to five, six seconds. A pit stop. What if we actually viewed failure as a pit stop? Just... A momentary speed bump, in a sense, a momentary pull over to the side, get a regrouping, get some refreshing, and then move on on the journey. What if we did that? What if we viewed it that way? I think Peter does here. Look at how he handles this. Verses 29 and 30, he says, "Come." And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And then he saw the wind, and, and he was afraid, and began to sink. Can, I just, can we just take a moment and revel With Peter in the fact that he actually did get out of the boat and walk on the water a lot of people focus on the fact that he sank I just want to say good job Peter give him a loving pat on the back I mean that's amazing he did it he he was now he was aggressive he was uh you know it got him in trouble before but in this situation I think he hit the fence Steve he pushed it he he was like hey look at this it's Jesus and he's like wow and I don't know what went through his head. I wish I knew. I don't know if he's like, I wonder if I can go out there. He's out there. I bet I can go out there. If he can do it, he'll help me do it. Let's go. And he hops out of the boat and he's like he's just moving. And he's trucking. And then he did something very interesting. It says in, in verse 30, he saw that the wind, he saw the wind. He saw that it was boisterous. He saw the waves. He noticed the surroundings. He noticed the natural stuff. And in those split second moments, the reality of the natural environment and his humanity became greater than God. This is very obviously happening very quickly here. And just leave it, if you would leave that passage up on the screen. The fact is, Peter had never done this before. He had never walked on water before. This is this first time. And I just imagine that his self-talk in the moment was, uh, you know, I mean, I think he's like, hey, whoa, I'm actually out here. I don't know if he, I, maybe Peter didn't think. Maybe that was part of his beauty, the beauty and the hardship about Peter is he just got out there and then I thought, I think he went, holy smokes, I'm actually out here. What just happened? His brain hadn't caught up with his body. And, and, then, and then he starts to sink, of course. Fear started to mix in, then doubt, then sinking. And, and, and it says he was afraid and he sinks and then of course he, he cries out Lord, save me. And this is, there's a principle in here that I really think we can all learn from. If we we view failure as a pit stop, and this is, and I put it up on the screen in the next slide, shrink the gap between your failure and your crying out to God. Shrink the gap between I failed and I'm, Lord, save me, as Peter did. He, in a very quick, quick scenario here, very few seconds, split seconds, He sees the waves, he sees the wind, he he, he doesn't see the wind, because you can't see wind, but he sees the effects of the wind on the waves, and maybe Jesus' hair is blowing, I don't know, and he's like, oh, oh, and he starts to, now granted, if you were drowning, you would be a little quicker to respond, that is true, right? But in this situation, he cries out, and and he cries out, and he shrinks the gap between his failure and his crying out to God, because he takes his eyes off the Lord. And I really believe that a mark of our maturity and even a mark of our joy in, it is, is ultimately a mark of getting, uh, is, is getting the better of failure is to shrink the gap, the time distance between I've failed and I've repented, surrendered, say, so God, help, save me. <laughs> again, I need you again. Joel, thank you for what you said. I think, I think that's, you, you see it even today. It's acknowledging the conviction of the Holy Spirit and saying, I, I, "I'm out of alignment. I need to get back in alignment." And and what I find in my own life and other people's lives that I minister with, and two, is that the ones that everybody fails, everybody makes mistakes, even when we're stepping out in faith, <laughs> like Peter here, doing a it wasn't, wasn't doing anything bad here. This wasn't a, you know, this was a good kind of failure, right? A failure with intentions of going towards the Lord. But it's that, it's that time gap. Shrink it. Shrink the gap. And so, and if you don't, what happens, if you don't, sh- if you don't shrink the gap, it, it's like your hope leaks out. And, and what happens is that the enemy has this bait out there in the gap. The longer the gap is, this bait hangs there and he sows lies and he gets you discouraged and shame weaves in there. Self-pity. And you start to spiral. You start to sink and your hope leaks out. And you, we all live, you live in a community, that's not just us that do this, but you live in a community of people that are wrapped up in shame, self-pity, discouragement, and you and I carry the hope. And so, the more we can respond, the quicker we can shrink the gap, I believe that, uh, that we're able to keep our eyes back on Jesus and on the mission. And so, how do, you know, how do you know if you're slipping towards an unhealthy view of failure? Of how, how do you start thinking and saying things like, well, I will always and I'll never. I can never overcome this. I'm always going to blow it in relationships. No matter what I do, it never seems to work out. Really watch for all or nothing thinking. Listen, ask the Holy Spirit to show you all or nothing thinking. And every, every one of us have areas where we feel like we're doing great in, and then areas where we think, man, I just, it's like I can just never seem to get victory. Or I can just, I just, just, the pattern is just this. Don't ignore those things, but also watch, watch the language rolling around in your, your mind. Ask God for a transformation there. See, see failure as a pit stop, it is an invitation. I remember my first semester in college, I was 19 years old. I failed my Spanish class. I thought I could take a foreign language and not study, and not go to class. Now, I'm not sure what I was thinking. I obviously wasn't thinking, probably a little bit like Peter when he jumped out of that boat. But it was, here was the problem, is at the time I was a masterful blame shifter. And so I just blamed the teacher hey, you set the class at 7 a.m.? That's ridiculous. Anybody 18 or 19 is not going to want to get up that early, you know, and it was amazing that how I justified things in my head, and I remember I had the audacity to go to the final exam, (laughs) and the teacher, great teacher, very, very nice teacher, said, kind of laughed at me when I walked in the room, kind of chuckled, and kind of, come over here, Kevin, you know, (laughs) he's like, so you haven't really been here much. You're not you think this is going to actually help you to take the final exam? Well, I think I would. You know, I'm very positive. I think I can pass this. You know? And of course, I didn't. Um, and he said, well, I'll let you take it. And, and, but here's what I didn't do. I did fail that class, which is terrible, and I wouldn't recommend it. But I also had a whole group of other classes that I didn't fail. And I had a full-time job that I didn't get fired from. I worked and had good, you know, did well there. And I think what happens is failure in one area, then we let it seep into the other areas and it kind of taints everything. So we've got to be careful. We've got to watch that. Get the better of it. The second thing I see here is let failure propel propel you to God. Again, in this same passage, just really really simply that last part that I've really kind of already talked about, but he cries out saying, Lord, save me. Because failure can paralyze you when you focus on your situation more than your Savior. And again, as I said, that sometimes it's the key here is to admit peter admits very quickly in split seconds he admits his need he admits his fear and admits his need he doesn't get all up in his entitlement and he's not saying jesus he's not he's not saying well jesus at least i stepped out of the boat i mean look at all these other disciples they haven't done anything they're just they're they're, they're scared they're they're just back here sitting in the boat he doesn't he doesn't start to blame shift he just goes for it. He, he just says he owns it. He admits his fear and his need and clings to Jesus. 1 Peter 5 6 says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Our failures do not take God by surprise. He knows. He knows us. And, and, and when we come to Jesus and we confess our sins and and, he, and our blunders, and we can admit our fears, receive forgiveness, receive his refreshing. I, I just really sense that that's, God wants to really show you, even right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is bringing up some things that, that you've thought, man, I, I do feel stuck, or I feel like my faith is just small in, in, in certain areas of my life. And, and even it comes, just like Peter here, in something where even when you're stepping out thinking you're doing something for God, and it doesn't seem to work out quite how you thought it would work out. And a year and a half ago, I was sitting in a Starbucks in Lewiston, and i have been working on a paper, I'm I'm working on my master's right now, and I I was writing this paper, I'd been there about three hours, I like to work in Starbucks with my headphones on, and uh, that's how I do it, I don't know, for some of you that's terrible, but for personalities like mine, I need that, I need people around me, but focused in with my headphones on. I'm riding away, and I'm tired, I hadn't seen my family, and I wanted to get home, and this young couple had walked in, and we're sitting at this table over here. And it's obvious, kind of out of the corner of my eye, that they're having a very intense conversation. It was, you know, it was kind of hard not to miss it. They weren't yelling, but it was, it was intense. And I'm trying to just ignore it, finish my paper, and I'm like, I'm going to get out of here. And as I'm about ready to leave, the Holy Spirit nudges me and says, Kevin, go introduce yourself to them and tell them that I love them. And I thought it had to have been last night's pizza that couldn't be the Holy Spirit, right? Then it happens again. I get the nudge because I'm like, no, I'm going home. I'm tired. And so I pack my bag, and I'm about to hit the front door, and I I feel the nudge again. Go introduce yourself and tell them that I love them. And I'm like, I don't want to, Lord. And so then I, I, I walk out of that restaurant. I'm like... I can't be hearing God. It's not possible. So I walked, I start before I get to my car, about from here to this back wall, uh, three more times, it's like stronger every time. Kevin, go introduce yourself. Tell him that I love him. Go introduce yourself. I'm like, I get to my car. I put my backpack in the car, kind of frustrated. I'm like, fine, Lord, I'll do it. So I go back in there. And this you know, this is a little awkward. I don't know, you guys think maybe this is an American thing, but this is just a God thing, right? And I walk up to this table, and I say, I know this is a little odd, but I just want to introduce myself. My name's Kevin, and, and I said, I really, I could tell you're having a pretty intense conversation, but I just really want you to know that God, I really feel like I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you tremendously. And the guy looks up at me, obviously getting more heated, <laughs> and he says, well, actually, what happens first is the girl, the lady, gets up, says nothing, walks out. And I'm thinking, oh, that's not good. <laughs> Lord, this is not how it was going down in my mind. After all this, that's what's going to happen. She walks out, says nothing. Then he looks up at me, he goes, would you sit down? Sit down, please. And so I'm like, all right. So I sit down, and and um, he introduces himself. He says, my, my name is Stefan," which wasn't his real name, but for the sake of propriety here uh he says but it was an unusual name it wasn't stefan but it was an unusual enough name that i remembered it and he goes on to tell me about how he's an atheist and how he studied all religions and and he's so he and this is what he said to me he said first he goes now this is going to sound a little ironic but he said for the love of god would you religious people leave me alone (laughs) and do i have to be done by 12 okay i got six minutes okay you got to at least get this story if nothing else cuz this story is amazing not on the front end but it gets better so i left there that day we had an, about a 5 minute conversation i said nothing It wasn't a conversation i just listened to him and at the end i said it was good to meet you <laughs> thank you for listen, you know thank you for having me sit down <laughs> he's like you know I walked out, and I'm thinking, Lord, that's what you had in mind? Are you serious? Like, I really, after all that, that's what's going to happen? Well, two weeks fast forward, I go home, I tell my wife, she's like, wow, that's bad. Like that, I've never heard one go that bad. That's terrible, you know? I'm like, yeah, it was. Well, I go, uh, two weeks later, no, a week later, I'm in my office in a pre-marriage counseling session, and and I'm interviewing the couple and kind of just getting their family background, and the the, the lady says, I said, well, tell me about your, you know, do you have any siblings Well, I have a brother, and his name is Stefan. And I went, did you say, and it was an unusual enough name, I go, did you say, she's like, she goes, were you at Starbucks the other day? Because my brother told me he met some guy that he thought might be a part of this church. I go, yeah, that was me. And this couple is new to the church, like they've only been at the church a couple months. And I said, hmm, interesting. She goes, well, you know, he'll be at the wedding. I said, well, great, the wedding was in like three more weeks. So Stefan's at the wedding. And of course, I walk right up to him, hey, Stefan, how you doing? Good to see you. Hi, Kevin, how are you? You know, kind of sheepish at this point. Because, and I'm like, I'm doing great, how are you? Since that time, about, right after that, after the wedding, which was okay, nothing amazing happened there, after the wedding, I've seen this guy like about every four days <laughs> around town somewhere, I'll see him. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? Hey, Stefan, how you doing? And I'm like always right over there. What's happening? How are you? You know? And he's like, Oh my goodness. Well, his sister is like, you know, um, God's after, obviously after him. I said, Yeah, obviously. Um, so just to fast forward, at the week before Easter, Stefan shows up. I'm, I'm up there preaching, and there's there's Stefan right over there, sitting with his sister, and. And I'm thinking, yes, God, you're God, you got him. And he comes up to me after the service, and he says, hey, I um, just want to, uh, he's kind of bumble, he says, I just want to apologize for how I treated you at Starbucks. Um, I said, oh, it's no problem. He said, I, yeah, He goes, I, he goes, I don't know if you know, I have a son, and I'm a single dad, and just, would you be willing to get together and... Kind of talk to me about God and about parenting and, oh, absolutely. And so, so then nothing for another six months. Well, he was at church last, the week before I came here and, um, and it's just slow, but methodical. But I'm telling you, there's more to the story even because the woman he had the baby with is connected in with a pastor that I know. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's like God has just orchestrated this thing and has been after this guy and in the front end of this thing, I thought, I have totally made a big, I missed God. I didn't hear God. It didn't go how I thought on the front end. And I'm just telling you, be faithful. Lean into the nigglings of the Holy Spirit, could we say? <laughs> the nudges of the Holy Spirit. And, and trust him. And, just, and do that. And I think you'll be blown away by what he does. Let's, let's quickly hit the last, is that okay? We'll hit the last couple. Learn from your failure and grow is number three. Jesus invites us into those situations. I believe they're going to help us grow. I think he invited me into that situation with Stefan. And, and I like what R.L. Robert Adams says here. He says this quote. He says, Failure is life's greatest teacher. It's, it's nature's chisel that chips away at all excess, stripping down egos as it molds and shapes us through divine intentions. And so, I, I just we don't want to just pass over failure without going to the roots of it. And in this situation with mine, my motive was I, was, I was being, I mean, I was struggling to be in, in my disobedience. I, finally, God got me, and I said, okay, fine. But my attitude was terrible. But even in the midst of my bad attitude, it was amazing how God can work. He'll use us. And, um, and so, it, even, even that, I just like, Lord, thank you for how you use us, even in the midst of our sometimes bad perspective and attitude. The fourth thing is, don't let failure define you. And listen to me, church. Listen to me. You are not the sum of your failures. You're not. You are not the sum of your failures. Uh, It's not your identity. Is failure messy? Yes. Is, Is it humbling? Yes. Is it ugly sometimes? Yes. Is it embarrassing sometimes? Yes. Does it have consequences sometimes? Yes. But a healthy life needs failure. And I want to quote someone who I really admire with this quote on the screen, failure is fertilizer. Kevin Beeson, that's me by the way. I I, I don't typically quote myself, but I thought it's kind of fun to put your own quote up. What if we looked at failure as as fertilizer? What if we said, God, in the soil of my life and my faith, failure is actually a catalyst for growth. And we see it in Peter's life, and I believe that's what the Lord wants us to see today. I'm going to skip down to 1 Peter 2, 9-10. to It says, but you are the ones, this is from the message, you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. I love that. And So just, church, just imagine Gillingham Community Church. Imagine you, in this community, with an increasing group of believers who modeled the realness that Peter had. As I was praying for you, it was interesting, as I was praying, even the last couple days, I, I, it was like I saw the picture that opened up to me, was a, it, was like it was a building, and I don't know if it was this building or not, but it was, a, it was like a shaft of light, just in a dark atmosphere, just going... Really bright, like a almost lighthouse, but bigger. Just boom, but up. And then the next scene was you all walking out of this place, and on top of all of your heads were shafts of light, just <clears throat> walking throughout the community, and, and it was interesting because and then it was like I it was like the scene I backed up and I looked and I saw just beams of light all over this area. And I thought. That's you. Imagine, imagine if we really get a hold of that. It's that God. You can you can take even the, the challenging difficulties, even the sins of commission and the sins of omission, <laughs> the things that we are called to do that we don't, and the things that we do that we shouldn't. And, you, and if we look at those as fertilizer, we look at those as as an opportunity to to grow and to and to stretch our faith. And we really rest in the fact that our identity is in Christ. (laughs) That, I, I like to say, I think sometimes it's really easy to get focused on what do we do for God. You know, the doing part. It's really easy to go there and go, well, if you're just a better Christian, then you would do this. Okay, of course we have a mission. Of course we do. But step over here with me to the being side. And the way that you grow your being... This being a child of God is, is really three, I ask myself three questions a lot, and these three questions, who is God, really? Even today, God, who are you today? And what's, second thing I ask is, what's been done through the person and work of Jesus? And then thirdly, now who am I because of those things? What's my real identity? And it's not like, and I don't think that that's a one-time question. I think that's an everyday question. God, who are you? I mean, He's not changing, but the revelation of who He is in your life and in my life can grow every day. And if we realize in the revelation of what's been done at the cross, what was what was completed by His death and resurrection, what the gospel isn't just a one-time event for you and I. It's an everyday opportunity to go. What was accomplished, really? And now, who am I because of that? That's our being. And the more we stay there, right? Love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, out of that place of being, then the mission, the doing, will flow in a healthy way. Because if we don't have this, and we're not fostering this every day, what happens is we get burnt out. We get, we get worn down. We get legalistic. And so, Grow the being side every day. Who am I in you? How do I just rest in who you are, God? Help me to keep that first. And then God, the mission is is so comes what will flow healthy out of that. I believe that those who fail and get back up, they cry out to God, they get back up, they dust off and they go for it. They actually have the most credibility. And and I want to challenge you this week to pray and say, God, show me someone that I can share my heart with, that I can encourage, that I could even share a little bit of my story with. Because I promise you, you get a little bit real. There's a whole bunch of people in this community that they'll go, wow, that's a person who loves God but doesn't think they're perfect. They're not judgmental. They're just... And then ask them their story. Where are you at? How are you really? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize today is, is Remembrance Day and we've, we've acknowledged that and we want to remember who you are, God. We want to remember what's been accomplished for the person and work of Jesus and and we also want a greater revelation of who we are in you, our true identity. and Lord. I pray today that for Gillingham Community Church, that every person in this place would see would, would invite you in to every past failure, every current battle. And would they recognize and see that you can bring a redemptive, <laughs> you can bring a redemptive thing out of all of it, that you, that's what you promise, and somehow you turn the, the positive and the negative things in, into, into to your glory. You can you can use them to advance the kingdom. And so, Lord, would we see that today? Would we have a philosophy and a belief that the failure doesn't have to make us stuck, but it actually can propel us towards you, as so we cry out to you and surrender. And walking in obedience. And I pray that this church would become a lighthouse in this community That, that in, in a greater measure. It's, it's there, but it, I pray it would increase because there are thousands of people here that don't know you. And so, Lord, I'm asking, uh, Lord, that, that let faith arise in the people today, in each of us. Take us to a new level of faith. Let us exchange that failure for, for fresh faith, fresh eyes to see.